Thank you, sister. For the past few weeks, uh, you probably noticed I stay out of the circle, the prayer circle, most of the time. I spend a lot of time over here. God's had me alone. Uh, he's had me just spending time with him, and and he's really burdened me about several things. One, he's, he's preparing me for something fantastic to come at Passover. If you've been in my Sunday school class for the last month, you know I'm excited about Passover, amen. I'm expecting great things. Um, but he's also, he's burdened me for the people at outreach. He's burdened me for the people at the nursing home. He's, you know, there's such a deception in the communities and in the world right now. And people are downtrodden. People are held down. People are in depression. People are in sickness. People are in bondage. People, they really need deliverance and salvation. And uh, that's what tonight is about. Tonight is about you guys. Uh, being intercessors, being prepared intercessors. Listen, you don't wake up one day and gee, I think I'd like to pray for somebody and expect miraculous results. God wants you to be trained and practiced and ready so when the time comes to intercede, when the time comes, you're prepared and you can expect miraculous results from God. So let's talk about that. First, we're going to talk about Jordan. Now, the word Jordan comes from the root, the Hebrew root word that means to descend. It means to go down. The name Jordan, it signifies that it perhaps is almost like they're, they're calling it the descender, the one who descends, and there's a good reason. Take a ride with me real quick. We need to be higher than a motorcycle but lower than a, an airplane, so we'll go hot air balloon. Anybody ever been to a hot air balloon? Sweet. I have not, but let's do that. And, and, and just north of Jerusalem, just north or rather of the Sea of Galilee, about, say, 16, 20 miles north of Galilee, there's a lake called Lake Hulel. Lake Hulel is, is almost like an intake manifold, if you know motors. It's got several inlets that come in. It's got one exhaust coming out. There's several rivers that feed into Lake Hulel, and uh, down at the, at the southern end of Lake Hulel, out comes the Jordan River. This is the headwaters of the Jordan River. And um, at this point, it's about 1,070, 1,080 feet above sea level at that point. The total length of the Jordan River from a place called Benias there just below Hillel all the way till it empties into the Dead Sea at the other end in the south is about 104 miles as we go in our little balloon ride. As a straight line, we're going to go 104 miles, but we're going to see that it twists and turns. The Jordan River takes all kinds of curves and dips and, and does all kinds of different things till it, it's about it's a little over 200 miles worth of river in that short span of, of a balloon ride. There towards the bottom, when it empties into the Dead Sea, it's 2,300. It, it has fallen 2,380 feet. By this time, it's 1,290 feet below sea level. It's in, it's in a valley that starts out as the Jordan Valley up to the north. And, and as it gets down, it's what's known as the Great Rift Valley. It's one of the lowest depressions in the world. It's one of the lowest places. And it's there that we're going to lower our, we're going to come down in our balloon and we're going to see there's, uh, there's what, two and a half million Israelites crossing the Jordan River there right by Gilgal. Is it about two and a half million people crossing the Jordan River? And uh, they're in a really low place. These people, they've been wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. They've been eating nothing but manna. <laughs> Talk about a depression. <laughs> they're, they're really in a low place. They're in one of the deepest valleys known to exist. 
And uh, this is where we find them. Let's hear what David had to say. In Psalm 42, 6, he says, Oh, my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember thee from the land of Jordan. He says, when I'm in that deep place, I'm going to remember you, God. When I'm in that spot, he says, and of the Hermonites from the hill Mizar. That word Hermon, where they get the name Hermonites from, that word Hermon means devoted to destruction. David says, I, I'm in the land of Jordan. I'm so low. I, 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 just, I, I wish I was dead. David says, I'm in such a place. I'm in such a low spot in my life. I'm in such a depression. I wish I was just dead. Just go ahead and kill me. Remember what Job said? He said, oh, God, if only I had died in my mother's womb. He had gotten to such a place. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to a place where you're just so depressed? You're just so overwhelmed by life and the things that are, are on your mind, the things that are on your plate, and you just feel like it'd be better if you just weren't around. If, if it just ended right now, it'd be okay. But that word, Mizar, from the hill Mizar, it means little. Very simply, it's just one word. It means little. There's, there's no ambiguity. There's no deception. There's no alternate meaning. It just means that word Mizar, it means little. I think it's a healthy thing for me to consider in the grand scheme of things when I think about the vast universe that God created. I think about the vast cosmos and the Milky Way solar system, this planet Earth, our little continent, North America, and this uh, little country we live in, the state of Texas, and then you find Jason Gospel. And I'm really little. I think it's healthy to, thank you. I think it's healthy to consider the insignificance of ourselves when we consider that compared to the magnitude of God's works. Amen? That's healthy. But that's not what he's doing here. He's at a place where all of life's troubles are so overwhelming, they make him feel small. He's overwhelmed by life and trouble. And it's an unhealthy thing when we can get in such a place that the magnitude of our depression makes us little. David says, from that place where I wish I was dead, where I'm absolutely so minute, so insignificant, there's no way that I can ever overcome what I'm going through. He said, the things that I'm experiencing, I can't deal with. I cannot overcome it. I wish I were dead. At that point, I'm going to remember my God. Amen? Do you think he ever forgot God? I would hope not. But at that point, he's going to come to a place where he remembers the things that God has done. He's going to remember the miracles of the past. He's going to remember the victories that he's had through Jesus. Listen, when we get in that place where we wish it was all over, when we get in us, because every one of us does, if you've never experienced that, my hat is off to you. You're in a great place. But every one of us, I think, has experienced to some degree a depression deep enough to make us wish or make us think it'd just be better if we were dead. Amen? But at that time... When we're in that dark place, we can remember the miracles of God in our past. We can remember the victories that he's brought us to, and that's going to lift us out. Let's read what Jonah had to say. Jonah said, he was in the belly of the big fish, and he said, When my soul fainted within me, Jonah 2.7, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee into thine holy temple. When he remembered God and remembered the things that God did, he begins to lift up the name of Jesus, begins to lift up the name of the Lord, and there he says, that's heard in heaven. At God's throne, God is hearing that. Let's look at uh, Lamentations. Jeremiah says this, 
Jeremiah says in Lamentations 3.21, This I recall to mind, and therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Amen? Great is your faithfulness. You remember that song we sang, what, one of my favorites? Great is His faithfulness. When we get in that place, we're in the belly of the fish, surrounded by digestive acids, as it were, to be consumed. We can cry out to God, and we can know that in His faithfulness, He hears us. Amen? Look at Psalm 18.6. The psalmist says, In my distress I called upon the Lord, and I cried out to my God, and He heard my voice from His temple, and my cry came before Him, even to His ears. Don't worry about it. He hears you. When you're in that place, it doesn't matter where you're at, how far down you've gone, how much depression you're in, but when you're in that place and you remember what he's done and you cry out, listen, hey, the woe is me and the wah, 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 I've got all kinds of Old Testament scripture that will prove to you that he does not want to hear wah, wah, wah. When you get in that place and you start screaming out, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is great, hallelujah, what you've done for me. And you start remembering and praising him for the things that he's done in your past. That's what he's listening for. That's what's going to bring you out of there. Remember Paul and Silas in the jailhouse? And they weren't down there, oh my gosh, there's prisoners in here with me. They weren't doing that and crying, it's damp and I'm wet and I'm scared and I'm tired. But they started praising the Lord and singing praises to his name. And guess what? The jailhouse opened up. Everybody was free because of them praising. Remember, we're talking about prepared intercessors. You remember that? Because they were praising God, everybody got set free. Amen? Amen. Praise God. <laughs> Here we are in the deepest, darkest place, two and a half million people in such a state in such a place, they're in the middle of the Jordan River. Here they are, they're coming up. And the Bible says in Joshua 4:19, bam, it says, And the people came up out of Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and encamped in Gilgal in the east border of Jericho. Sunday schoolers, you know where I'm going with this? He says, The people came up out of Jordan. He doesn't say the Jordan, they came up out of Jordan. What is Jordan? It's the deep place. What is Jordan? It's that depression that you find yourself in. The people came up out of Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Does that date sound familiar to anybody? Listen, we have a, a bit of a, a, I call it a coincidence. You say, preacher, I don't believe in coincidence. Call it whatever you want. It just so happens that this year, the 14th on our calendar falls on the 14th on the Jewish calendar. It just so happens that Passover is on the 14th of the first of the first month, the 14th of Nisan. Well, that just happens to be the 14th of April this year. We're going to celebrate it on the 12th, John, but the real Passover, I'm sure you can attest to this, it begins sundown, the evening of the 14th, that'll be Monday. In fact, if you consider the eight-hour time difference, you think about the Jewish people over there, since it's the ninth, in just a few hours, they'll be choosing their Paschal lamb. In just a few short hours, they're going to stretch and rise. They're going to look around. They're going to pick a lamb free of blemish, uh, the one that they're going to sacrifice, uh, the one that they're going to have for their Passover. And uh, 
they're about to choose it in just a few short hours. On the tenth day of the first month, they came out of Gilgal. Gilgal, by the way, I, I found it interesting, means wheel. They've been going around in circles all this time in the wilderness, and finally they come to a place God's going to bring them out on the tenth day of the first month, four days before Passover, as it is, and he's going to start driving them into their promises. He's, they're going to start driving forward. Amen? Now, there were three reasons to come to the Jordan at this time, and I know that I've mentioned this to Sunday school class. I, I know that I preached a, a big, long sermon a few years ago about them crossing the Jordan River. I'm not sorry about it, but uh, I'm not going to dwell on those same issues that we discussed just to say that they came out on the 10th day. But there were three reasons for them to come to the Jordan during the harvest season. One, you know this, they're going to reap what they didn't sow. They're going to receive the benefits of someone else's labor, amen? I like that. I like to eat a crop I didn't have to plant or till the ground. I love that about my father-in-law. He grows stuff really well, and my wife and I end up with cucumbers and tomatoes and all kinds of stuff. Praise the Lord. Amen. Um, but the second thing is God does not share glory. God's going to get glory. God's going to get the praise for everything that he does in your life. He's going to bring you to such a state, and he brought them through this deep valley in such a state at such a time when the Bible says that the Jordan River overflows its banks every harvest season. It was, would have been impossible for them to cross that river. So he brought them there at that time because he's the only one that could do it. Amen. So he gets all the glory. And the other reason, there's Passover. Now, I, I heard John twice now from the pulpit, and I agree with him 100%. There's a different feel about this Passover. And he wants the focus to be on you, focus to be on us and this group, amen. And I agree. I, I think there's something happening here. I think, I think there's going to be something really different about this Passover when it comes to us, when it comes to the way, I, I think the way God uses us. I think he's going to use us in a mighty way this Passover. And subsequently, every day after that, there's a change coming. I think there's a change coming to United Christian Fellowship. I think not only revival, but I think there's a change in ours. We need to be ready for something. And I want to explain it. There are going to be visitors here. Yes, the focus is going to be on us. And yes, we're not going to stress the visitors so much. And we're not going to bring in as many as we can. I've seen up to 200 people in this place on Passover. That's crowded. That's crowded. Usually, like Marie said, usually about 100 people in this place, and that's crowded. You get 200 in here, man, we're waiting on each other. But uh, there are going to be visitors in this place, and they're going to be in the Jordan. There's going to be lost people in here. Any lost people in here tonight? If you're here, raise your hand. No? There's going to be lost people in here come Saturday night. Believe it or not, it's going to happen. Listen, there's going to be sick people in here. Sick people tonight? Anybody? Yes, ma'am. Sick people, amen. Thank you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God's no different tonight than he's going to be Saturday. Let me tell you that right now. But uh, it's the 10th day. They came up out of the Jordan River. God's going to bring you out. He's going to bring them out at Passover. We're going to have lost people, sick people, hurt people. We're going to have depressed people. We're going to have people in bondage. We're going to have people with demons. We're going to have people in here that need ministry. And Passover's a night for ministry. Amen? 
I, I didn't come here to preach all about Passover. I'm not going to do that. Just I want to tell you that he said in Exodus 12, 11, this was the first Passover, and he told Moses, Thus you shall eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And ye shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord Passover. Why did, why did they have to have their belt on? They had to have their tunic on, their staff in their hand. They had to be ready to go, didn't they? They had to know. They knew for sure that God was going to do something. Listen, God will do something tonight if you know that he will. Listen, you can be delivered right now. You can be saved right now. You can be healed right now. You can be brought out of depression right now if you believe that. If you, here's the thing. John and I were talking about it the other night. I know that people are going to get saved at Passover. How do you know that, preacher? Because I have faith in it. I believe in it. It's real easy. Listen, you want to see me jump, in, jump up and down? You bring Josh in here Saturday night. I know God's going to heal him. How can you say that, Jace? Because I know God. Well, what if he don't? Is, is that unbelief? Listen, if God doesn't heal him on Saturday night, that's God's prerogative. And he's not wrong. I am. How can, I, how can that be a mistake to say God's going to do something that I know God can and wants to do? You say, well, don't get people's hopes up. What else are hopes for? Are we going to keep them beat down? Can I not tell you, listen, brother, you bring that lost person that you know in here Saturday night, God is going to save them. You don't know that. That's unbelief. I know God's going to save them. And if he don't, I'm wrong. He's not. Amen? But I'm not going to be the one that says maybe. He could not do many mighty miracles there because of their unbelief. God is going to heal people come Saturday night. You don't know that, preacher. Well, there's your unbelief. I'm not going to be the one that stands in their way. I know he's going to heal them. I know he's going to save them. I know he's going to do these things. How do I know that? I know he's going to be here. And I know the kind of things that he does. Amen? Come on now. How do I know he's going to be here? And the second thing... They had, to, they, they had their tunic on, their belt, their walking staff. They had to be ready to move into a new position. Listen, if you know God's going to do things in this place, if you know that your pastor said it's going to be about you, then you know that you need to be ready to move into a new position. You're not in the pews anymore come Saturday night. You've got people to minister to because I know God's saving them. How's he going to do it? You're going to talk to them. I know God's going to heal them. How's he going to do it? You're going to lay hands on them. You need to get up out of your seats come Saturday night because God is going to be doing things in this place and he's going to be doing it with you. Amen. Be ready to move into a new position. You're not pew warmers anymore. We are children and ministers of God. Amen. I'll move along, brother. I'll move along. How do I know God's going to be here at Passover? How do I know? Anybody? How do I know? It's a Moedim. It's his appointed time. That's the first one. That's good. There's three ways I know he's going to be here. It's if there's two fail-safes. I can't lose. God is going to be here. One, Moedim, appointed time. He said, if you show up at Passover, guess what? I'm going to be there. Oh, well, let's look at something else. Matthew 18, 20. As if that wasn't good enough, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered there together in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. That's number two. How do I know he's going to be there? He said if two of us show up in his name, he'll be there, right? But hold everything. If that wasn't good enough, 
Look at Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. He's omnipresent. He's absolutely everywhere. I don't care if none of y'all show up Saturday night. I can be sitting here. Guess what? God's here. How do I know that? He's everywhere. I can't escape from him. I don't want to, but if I wanted to, I couldn't. Amen. Look at Jeremiah. God told Jeremiah in 23, 23, he said, Am I a God near at hand? says the Lord, and I'm not a God afar off. Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord. Wow, that gives me a whole nother picture because when I think of God being everywhere at once, amen, when I think, (laughs) come on, shout it. When I think of God being everywhere at once, I think of, you know, right here's God. He's with me. When I go, right there by you, Michael, there's God right by you. Right there's God. Inside you, Brother John, there's God. But he just said, God just said, don't I fill heaven and earth. God is here. He's not, he's not here. He's not over here. He's here. He fills up heaven and he fills up earth. He, everywhere you could think, look, breathe, you're breathing him. You're living in him. Amen. Hey, listen, even the lost people, they're surrounded by God. Don't know it. (laughs) They're going to believe it one day, but they're surrounded by God, breathing in and breathing out God. He's everywhere. Listen to what I wrote down here. Now, we agree God's going to be here Passover. We agree he's here right now. We agree he's everywhere all at once. So he's here. Okay. God's promised. He promised it, right? His promised and sure presence does not mean that you will experience the presence of God. Did you understand that? His interaction with you is, I'm doing math, I think, geography maybe. God's interaction with you is directly proportionate to your preparedness to receive his interaction. Did you catch that? Well, God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, with whoever. Yes, he can. And listen, every once in a while, he may do something in your life that you didn't prepare for. He may just totally blow your mind. But if you want access to the Holy of Holies, you got to prepare yourself for it. We'll talk about that. Only through prayer and consecration... Do we prepare ourselves to experience the awesome presence and miraculous interaction of Almighty God? If you want to see miracles in your life, if you want to see miracles in the lives of the people that you pray for, you've got to be prepared for that. You've got to work up to it. Listen, a uh, uh, karate master doesn't get into the ring fresh off the bus. He's been training in karate. Amen? If you want to have a miraculous prayer life, if you want to have a miraculous and interactive life with God, then this is something that you need to train for and prepare for. Amen? I've been talking to you all in Sunday school class. Last few weeks, we need to be ready. We need to prepare for Passover. We need to cut things out. Remember the circumcision. We need to cut away the flesh, remove something out of our lives. We need to get in such a place where God can show up and use us. Amen?
Do we agree? Listen, just because God's there doesn't mean you're going to feel him. It doesn't mean you're going to experience him. Han Solo didn't believe in the force. I owed that to Josiah. Hey, man, let me tell you something. I took, I took Josiah to the dentist the other day. I've been talking with him because he wants to be a, he's a Jedi. That dude's got lightsabers. And so I've been talking to him about the real Jedi and about the real lightsaber. Did you know the Bible says that Jesus is the light of the world? Did you know that the word is his sword? Well, I took Josiah to the dentist, and he was talking to the dentist lady about his, his play lightsaber at home, and he said, but that's just a toy. I said, Josiah, what's a real lightsaber? He said, the word of God. He did not even bat an eye. He, he looked at her, and he said, the word of God. And I said, Josiah, what about them Jedi? They're not, they're not real Jedi. Who's a real Jedi? He said, I am. <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. Mike, my, my five-year-old, looked up at this woman. He said, I'm a real Jedi. And, and I said, why are you a real Jedi? And he said, I got the word of God. <laughs> Amen. Yes. Hallelujah. You ain't never seen a prouder daddy. <laughs> you ain't never seen a prouder daddy. But uh, look, look. I want to I tell you how to prepare for that experience of God. When God's there and he's there all the time. John preached a message six, seven, eight, I don't know how many years ago. He preached a message about getting into the presence of God. And he said something. So I, I totally agree with this. He said, God's everywhere. And if you're a child of God and he's living in you, he said, if you want to get in God's presence... Getting God's presence. I want to qualify that just a little bit because I believe it. John, I agree with you. At any moment, I can hit the floor and I'm there with him. I have access into the Holy of Holies, but there are some criteria that I want to discuss with you. And I want you to look with me into the tabernacle. We'll get just a quick look into the temple. Go to Exodus 40, verse 29, and he says this. Read with me. And he put the altar of burnt offering by the door of the tabernacle of the tent of the congregation and offered upon it the burnt offering and the meat offering as the Lord commanded Moses. Okay, the, burnt, uh, the altar of burnt offering, it was used... Nursing a cold. The burnt offering was for all the people. It was at the door of the tent of the congregation. They used that altar of burnt offering to uh, burn the offerings for the priest, for his family, for the temple itself, for the whole congregation. That altar of burnt offering was used to cleanse the people. Amen. The offering up of the burnt offering is a ministry involving the priest and all the people. It is the corporate prayer and worship experience. Do you understand what I just said? It's the corporate prayer and worship experience. Go to Hebrews 10.25. He says this. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. We're to go to church. We're to have, listen, the altar of burnt offering tells me that there's a community experience where we get together and Praise the Lord, worship Him, and pray together. We do that in this church. I think it, that's an experience that is very much needed. Look at Ephesians 2, 21 and 22. 
in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. It says ye. That's the plural. That's plural of you. That's y'all. That means that we are the house of God. You can't, I can't say this is the temple of the Lord. Yes, I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me, and yes, so do you individually, but the Bible says that we are the temple of the Lord. Each board jointed, fitted together, that makes up the habitation of God. And 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says this, Now ye, y'all, together, plural, are the body of Christ and members in particular. The altar of burnt offering is the corporate prayer and worship experience. Let's look a little bit deeper into the tabernacle, into the temple. He says in verse uh, in chapter 30 and verse we're going to do verse 1 and then we're going to do 6 through 8. Beautiful. You shall make an altar to burn incense on, you shall make it of acacia wood. Verse 6, you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. So here it is. As you go back into the temple, you see you pass by the altar of burnt offering outside in the courtyard, and you come in, and you're going to see the altar of incense here outside of the veil. And right behind the veil is the ark of the covenant. Right behind the veil is the mercy seat where the Lord said he's going to meet with the high priest. Amen? Everybody follow me so far? And he says, Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning when he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. That means the fire never went out. Now this is something Aaron would be in there alone. He would be he would be all by himself making his rounds in the morning, in the evening. He would be tending the fire on the altar of incense. He would be stoked, he would be adding incense to it. This isn't something that he did for all the people. This is something that was between him and the Lord. That was it. The altar of incense is the burning of the incense is a private personal thing. It's the personal prayer and worship experience. This had nothing to do with the congregation. It had to do with Aaron had to do with his relationship with God. Amen? Now watch this. Revelation 5.8. I'm trying to speed it along, brother. Revelation 5.8 says this. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The altar of incense, when he burnt the altar of incense, was as if he was lifting up prayers his own prayers, personal prayers, and personal worship to God. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. A perpetual fire throughout your generations. That's why he stoked it every morning. He stoked it every evening. The prayers never stopped. Paul said, pray without ceasing. You don't ever stop lifting up prayers to the Lord. You don't ever become unwary of his presence with you. You don't ever get to a point where you forget about him. Amen? Now, when you get in that depressed state, you remember what he's done for you, but you hadn't forgot him. Amen? Now, 
Leviticus 12 and thir- uh, Leviticus 16 verses 12 and 13. Here it is. This, this is it. This is how we get in that presence. He says, He shall take a censer full of burning coals of the fire from off the altar before the Lord, the altar of burnt offering, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small from the altar of incense, and bring it within the veil. When Aaron, on the Day of Atonement, that one day a year when he actually would get in the presence of God, because he was very limited, you are not. He was very limited in his access to the presence of God. Amen? We are not. On that one day, that one fine day that I bet, you know, the way I know God, I bet Aaron probably was chomping at the bit. Uh, As soon as the Day of Atonement was over, he was thinking, Lord, let it come on again. That's the way I am about Passover. As soon as Passover is over, I'm like, when's the next Passover? That'll be... uh, April 4th of 2015, I believe. (laughs) But uh, I I just know that Aaron's like, Lord, I can't wait for that time again because one day a year he could get in the presence of God and this is how he could do it. There's only one. This is how he had to do it. He would take fire from the altar of burnt offering. He would take incense from the altar of incense. He would go behind the veil where God said he would meet with him and there... At that time, he would put them together. And the fire from his corporate praise and worship experience mingled and interacting with his private prayer life that he kept constant would arise to the Lord in a sweet-smelling aroma, thereby covering him. The Bible says that he would not die. He shall put... He shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. Amen? The aroma, there's something that happens here. The aroma of my personal prayer relationship with Jesus when offered with the fire during corporate worship makes the offering pleasing and acceptable. The fire produced in me during corporate worship when applied to my personal prayer and worship relationship with Christ maintains my spiritual life and invites the presence of God did you see how that worked I have to have church but I have to have prayer life too if you one of those you want to sit at the house and say well I don't I don't have to go to church I pray to God I believe in Jesus Christ I don't need to go to church the Bible says if you want God's presence you do and you say, well, I go to church every Sunday, preacher. I don't need to be praying on Monday and Tuesday. I don't need to, to do that. I, I don't need to have Jesus in my house. I go to, the Bible says that if you want God's presence, you do. I got to have church. I got to have a personal prayer life, a personal prayer experience. It's funny to me that it, I'm going to read it again. The aroma of my personal prayer relationship. When I come to church, because I have a personal relationship and a prayer life outside of church, when I come to church, those two combined raise a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. They make my offering of praise and prayer and worship acceptable. Amen? Now, the other, the other side of that is that when I come and I get on fire here, listen, when we're all singing together and I start feeling it, 
really good and I'm dancing back there and praising the Lord and I, I'm just on fire. Now when I go home and start to pray and that fire that I've gained from corporate praise and worship with y'all, from corporate prayer up here in the circle, from hearing the word of God and I'm on fire in my spirit and I go home and I start praying, it says that that maintains my spiritual life. And it invites the presence of God, not only here but at my house. It's like a circle. One hand washes the other. I can't have a healthy prayer life without a church life. I can't have a healthy church life without a prayer life. It's a continuous circle. I think it's pretty interesting that Gilgal means wheel or circle. You remember that place where God brought him out of Jordan? You remember that place where you come out of your depression when you remember what he's done for you? You remember that place when you get so far down and you start to think, I wish I was dead. It, I can't get over this. I'm not going to get past this. And he said, but I brought you out of Jordan right there at Gilgal. That circle of your worship experience, your prayer life, your church life. But that's not what I wanted to talk to you all about. I want to talk about intercessory prayer. You remember that? Prepared intercessors. Prepared intercessors. Look at number 16. I'll summarize this real quick. The people were grumbling against Moses and Aaron. And God said, y'all step aside. I'm going to destroy them all. And Moses told Aaron, run and get fire from the burnt offering. Run and get incense from the altar of incense and go stand between the people and the plague. Amen. Since I'm paraphrasing, I'll just tell you, 14,700 people, you can see at the bottom of this, 14,700 people died in a matter of moments when God sent that plague. People started falling dead immediately. You know what Aaron did? He got fire from the burnt offering. He got incense from the altar of incense and he went and he put them together and he stood between the living and the dead and the plague stopped. You want your prayer for other people to be effective? You better have a prayer life. You better have a church life. When you take the fire from your burnt offering and mingle it with your incense from your prayer life, then your prayers start to become effective. You want to see people saved at Passover? Be a prepared intercessor. Don't just come to church, but have it at home. Cut something out of your life. you got four days. We've got four days to bring them up out of the Jordan. I think that this Saturday night's going to be about us. I really do. But we've got to be ready for it because we're going to have people here that are going to need to be delivered. They're going to need to be saved. They're going to need to be healed. And guess what? I'm going to say it again. God is going to do that. Saturday night. Do you believe me? Do you agree? Solomon said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. It's a different matter, but I like that quote. Leviticus 16 and verse 17 says this. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out. On that day, when Aaron would go into the holy place and experience the presence of God, there was no one else there. There could be no one else there. You want to experience God's presence. You've got to get to a place when everyone and everything else fades away. When I'm alone with God. Even right back there, surrounded by all of you. 
If I can get to a place where all of you just disappear in my mind. I love you, listen, but I got to get alone. I love my wife. We, we, my wife and I, we really enjoy to sit together and talk. And, and we get up in the morning, we just, we're having coffee and we just talk and stuff. But she's got to get alone sometimes. I've got to get alone with God. And when I can get to a place where everything else fades away and you guys are not even here, I can get in the presence of God. Amen? Amen. Thank you very much, Brother John. How'd I do?